Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I want to take a moment to tell you about my upcoming program, Creative Woman Set Free. So I've just been wanting to initiate a group of incredible souls, incredible women into opening their creative channel. And this is really the channel of love. It is the channel that moves from the throat into the heart and into the womb, the pussy. And so a lot of us have a lot of tightening or blockages in that channel, and really it can hinder the expression of our soul in the world. To me, there's an emanation that arises from within, from deep, 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 deep within. Sometimes we pull from the outside first when we're like, who am I and what am I going to express? But in this class, we're going to really source from deep within. We're going to find the magnetic and unique, special thing that only you have. So this has been so important for me. It's like, what is that particular bouquet kaleidoscope of my soul and how do I express that outward in the world? I want to help you find that so that you don't have any questions about it, so that you actually have a direct link down and in to your heart and soul, and you can feel what it wants to express in the world. We're going to have so much fun. There will be ritual. There will be spotlight coaching. There will be anecdotes from me about my epic fails and epic wins and myths and stories, and it will be a beautiful journey. So come on board. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to have you. I am so excited for today's podcast. I've been waiting since season one to have this incredible human here. I could have talked to her for hours. I had all these questions and I just wanted to ask all of them. And I only got so far, of course. She's amazing. She's deep. She's smart. She's revolutionary. If you don't know her already, you'll be thanking me later. I am so happy to introduce to you on today's podcast, the legendary Stoya. I am so excited to have someone on our podcast today who I've been a fan of for, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. Were you even doing stuff? <laughs> I'm like looking, I'm like thinking when the first time I encountered you, maybe mid-2000s okay, so or early 2000s. Yeah, I started, um, okay, so I was born in 1986. Okay. So I was 18 in 2004. Yep. And I think I think I started making new content in 2005 and then did um I know I did the Razor Dolls movie in 2006. It was June 6, 2006. Nearly awesome. guys you're so metal. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just feel like your name has been an iconic name when I consider like and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think of like an empowered alternative um 
version of what it means to be a pornographer or a porn star or to work in the sex industry. When I came across you, I was like, oh, she's doing it differently. It feels like, like she has a different energy than I've encountered, which I found to be really attractive. I'm not the only one, (laughs) obviously. How much, how much time have you spent in Philadelphia? Not much. New York, yes. I moved to New York when I was 18, but not Philly. Yeah. So New York and Los Angeles in different ways are very polished. Yeah. And in Philadelphia, when I was 18, looking at like, you know, how women navigate being sexually objectified and how they participate in sexual labor mostly in a performance capacity, right? Go-go dancing, nude modeling, performing in pornography. Um, I tried interactive sorts of sex work and really was not suited to it um, until in the past couple of years. I've been doing well with OnlyFans and most of that is interacting with people. Um, but I was I was not good in a dungeon. I was not good... <laughs> not good in a strip club um and so i had i had all these examples like um melissa bang bang she was a go-go dancer and she had a body that was shaped like mine right all these all these women over the years have told me like since my nude modeling days it's so nice to see a body like mine represented as sexually arousing and stimulating and melissa bang bang did that for me awesome like i can like remember the nightclub i can't remember the name of the nightclub but i can remember all the decor of the nightclub i can remember where i was standing looking at her on the go-go box and like a little like knitted ballet wrap Mm. and like like she like dressed to accentuate her body she wasn't trying Mm. to fit into what the curvy women would wear um and there were there were several examples of women being sexually you know professionally sexualized and sexualizing themselves in all of these ways that were really diverse Mm. so when i when i first got to los angeles it was like whoa the women here are (laughs) i don't look like them at all (laughs) wow wow and just so just to take it kind of back a little bit for people that are newer to your work um you know i'm going to add an introduction at the beginning of the podcast but i'd love to hear how you got into um and and if you call it working in pornography or sex work or both, and I want to talk about all the different types of your work because you are a like multi, multi, multi hyphenate, which is amazing <laughs> and entrepreneur and all of these things. But I'd love to start with how I came across you and how you started on that path um, as a young woman entering into the sex industry, especially in LA. I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so first, um, first, I was go-go dancing, um, not in a go-go bar at a nightclub, but it's, it's similar, right? Buy me a drink, give me a tip, 
look at my butt, tiny outfit. Like it's, it's, there's yeah. very, I can't, variegations, variegations yeah. there. Um, yeah. And I was doing, you know, still like keeping my nipples and my vulva covered, but doing like work involving fetish stuff and like kind of like what they called like dark imagery. Um, so like Evie Newman did this set with me with like all this like antique, like medical stuff kind of around. Um, and I was, I really wanted to do Suicide Girls, but I was hearing bad things about Suicide Girls and I didn't know what to think. And my roommate, Johnny, um, I do not remember if he uses his nickname or his last name. So rather than phone a friend, I'm just going to leave it at Johnny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Johnny, if you're listening, this is why I'm not crediting you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, He came out of his room one day and I was waking up on the couch, still wearing like the band-aids over my nipples and the pair of fishnets pretending to be a shirt from my gig the night before. And he's like, hey, you don't mind being naked. And like, as I peel off a nipple bandaid, I'm like, no, I do not. Where are you going with this? <laughs> and he's like, well, there are these two websites. They're like suicide girls. They want me to shoot for them. Um, they're based in Los Angeles. I would need to find my own models here in Philadelphia. I thought of you immediately. Um, and I was like, okay, so like, I know myself. And sometimes I do something. And only once I've done it. Do I go, oh, what have I done? Um, so we decided on a plan. We would do the whole shoot day, right? Um, because God's girls, they didn't want one set. They wanted like, I think it was like eight. Um, it was called God's girls? Yeah, it's called God's Oh my God. Very but, different than suicide girls. But it was the same kind of aesthetic? Same, same okay. kind of deal. Nude, okay. all, whatever. Um, and, they actually they had a promotional T-shirt at one point that said "Suicide is a mortal sin," and it was like, <laughs> um, "Love it, <laughs> yeah." Um, so we worked on this plan where we would do the full shoot day and ask hair and makeup to come, and everything would be on spec. Everybody would get clothes stuff that they could definitely use for their portfolios because we were all portfolio level at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we would like sit on the pictures and let me sleep on it for a while and like see if I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and like ran right. into his room, like, you got to burn the hard drive. <laughs> yeah. None of that happened. Cool. So then I was doing nude modeling. Yeah. And the other website was called Razor Dolls. And Razor Dolls asked me if I would come to Los Angeles to film a um to film an explicit sex scene with this woman i think it was jade star um (laughs) let's see june 6 2006 so it was 19 yeah i was about to turn 20 i thought i was so smart and i'm like okay so 
I want it in writing in an email because I think that's going to protect me. In the end, it all worked out fine. It all worked out fine in the end. But I'm like, I wanted an email that if I see a penis, even if we're like driving from the airport to the location and someone exposes themselves on the street as we're driving past, if I see a penis and I'm like, nope, you have to be okay with that. Also, if I get halfway through makeup and I'm like, I can't do this, you have to be okay with that. If we get three minutes into the scene and I'm like, I can't do this, you can keep the footage you have. If you're able to do anything with it, great, but I'm going to leave and you have to be okay with that. Wow. And they were like, 100%. I'm like, awesome. Um, So I went out and I did the film and then I did another couple of scenes for them. And it just like never clicked for me um but then then maybe a year later digital playground asked me into their office to talk about doing a scene with Sophia Santi I don't know if you've ever seen Sophia Santi she's one of the most gorgeous creatures Uh to ever walk the face of the earth she's beautiful Actually, I just I just got a DM from her a couple weeks ago about like a possible business thing. Like, hey, babe, mm. do you want some influencer work? And I'm like, fuck, you're still stunning. Um, um, and once once he's in the office, they're like, um, they're like, how do you feel about boys? And I'm like, boys are fine. Oh, you want me to do sex scenes with men? That's that's an entirely different situation. I have to consider this. Um, so I looked into the health and safety system. I thought about, you know, do I want to be a Senator? Do I want to be a school teacher? Like any of these things where crossing that line of touching penises on camera, because that's, that's how the world was at the time. We're talking about 16 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was. I hope it was actually 16. I did not do the math. We're talking about over a decade ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I was also thinking like, okay, so like, let's say I'm in my mid thirties and I'm like, I'm done with this. It's time to settle down, have a partner and like, you know, like have like work-life balance. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How am I going to feel when someone that I'm super into is like, oh, you used to do what? So (laughs) fast fast forward to now, I still do not want to be a senator. I still do not want to be a school teacher. Um, The health and safety systems and pornography have only improved. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm 36. And what I thought at... 21 which was um I don't think I want people in my life in my 30s who are going to judge me for having done this that's also true so thank goodness for once 21 year old logic worked out okay yeah yeah (laughs) she knew it was up I mean it sounded like she had great boundaries with all those agreements and things too (laughs) just like yeah yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. And like when you were entering in there, was it because, okay, I need a job or was there an aspect of 
I, I would love to play in the realms of pleasure. And this sounds so fun. Is it both? Or what was the kind of degree there for you? Um, the, the economic pressure didn't kick in until I had signed the contract, um, actually until, until the first few movies had been shot and it was public appearance time because then life became expensive. Um, yeah, but prior to that, you know, I, I lived in Philadelphia in a three bedroom apartment with several other people. The rent was like $600 a month. Yeah. Um, you know, if I if I went to the right gig on the right night, I would make rent in one night. Yeah. Not because I was making so much money, but rent was so low. Or it was yeah. South Philadelphia. Yeah. Um moving to Los Angeles, my cost my rent went up five times. Wow, <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, when I looked at the contract, it was like, oh my God, $62,500 a year. That is an enormous amount of money. Um, but then living in Los Angeles, you've already lost 12 K. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to like, you know, consider what I'm spending. If I want to make sure I have money for my taxes when it's time to pay them and like, okay, I think I can do this. Um, but then the public appearances and you're expected to look a certain way. Yeah. Um, and now, now I'm like, I'm retired. I will show up with my hair in a bun <laughs> and no makeup and a t-shirt. And it's actually a special occasion that it's a gray t-shirt with something <laughs> on it because usually it's a nondescript black tank top. And I'm like, <laughs> which you still look awesome in. So <laughs> Thank you. But like when you're when you're first starting out and you're yeah. young, up yeah. and coming porn starlet, the look is everything. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And I I could I could get cheap things and alter them for myself. I had enough sewing skill to do that. I could make skimpy outfits out of various materials, including latex. Like I managed to do a lot on my own. And I also managed to get a lot of great stuff on eBay. Uh, <laughs> Awesome. But it was still, it was like, whoo, now, now I feel kind of not exactly stuck, but like I'm on this ride and it costs money to be on this ride. Yeah. And, you know, so like now if I'm offered an extra scene, of course I want to do that scene. Right. When like, you know, so that's, that's when economics began to enter the decision-making process. Yeah. And it's not it's not like this is like some tragedy. This is just how yeah. capitalism works. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Before the, before, though, you kind of were dealing with L.A. life in general, which is still a thing. I mean, I, I don't live there anymore, but I used to. But was there a part of you that was really enjoying just like the pleasure of being free to? to yes. Like, yeah. OK. I'm just Sorry, curious that was, because that I was. Yeah. That was my point with the whole negative. Yeah, was like that actually wasn't a factor in the decision to do it. It became yeah. a factor later. The factor for me to do it was like, wow, I'm going to have access to some incredible sexual experiences, right? I'm going to be having sex with professionals. Yeah. I can try anal with people who do it all the time and might know what they're doing better 
because no one's ever put stuff in my ass in a way that it's been like more pleasurable than painful. So I'd like to see what that's about. Sure enough, Eric Everhard really knows what he's doing. Once I had been done by someone who knew what they were doing, then I could tell other people what to do. So like, Mm -hmm. again, 21 year old me, really sharp, got Mm -hmm. exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I remember one of the first scenes that I saw you in, I really felt like, oh, I've seen a lot of porn, but I haven't always believed that the women are having like a great time. And what I felt in you, and I'm curious if it was true, but I'm like, she really looks like she's having an incredible time. And I got off on just feeling like the the truth of your pleasure or what I was projecting as the truth of your pleasure. And so, yeah, I'm curious because when we think of like the stereotype of women in porn, we think of like those fake orgasm sounds and fake boobs and all <laughs> that kind of thing, which is not you, I don't think. Um, and so when you were enacting these scenes with people, was it real pleasure that you were experiencing? Like, was that what we've witnessed of you with the truth? <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely real desire to be doing what I was doing. And I would say about 90% of the time it was in fact pleasurable. I mean, sometimes you show up and you're like, man, I thought I was going to want to have sex with this person. Yeah. And it's just not what I thought it was going to be. Or like, Ooh, like everything's right, except I had a strange dream last night. And it's like really work to get in the moment. Um, Right. Since, you know, there are aspects like, yes, it's a job. Right. Um, Like PMSing, being in a grumpy day with your body or all of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's literally my menstrual cycle was the bane of my career. Because, and like, actually, the Financial Times did a really great eight part podcast on this recently. It's called Hot Money. Um, They trace, among other things, they trace the restrictions. So, for instance, on OnlyFans, I can't type menstruating. Really? So, if I want to say, this literally happened the last time I got my period, it was like, hey, not sure if the live show is going to happen tonight. I'm menstruating and I went to post it and the system was like banned word. You can't say menstruating. So they traced that all the way through this ridiculous game of telephone about what is and is not allowed Mm. to visa and MasterCard's policies with sexual media that include at least visas includes this like really vague little clause. that's like, and anything else that might hurt our brand. Right. Their rules aren't very long, but then there's this and anything else that might hurt our brand. So you end up in this situation where shooting commercial pornography, you can't show menstrual blood because whether Visa would be upset or not, the payment processor thinks Visa might be upset, so they don't allow it. So if Uh. you do it, you will lose your payment processing, which is your ability to do business. So we can't see menstrual fluid. Wow. My cycle is very irregular. Yeah. Wow. Like very, very irregular. So you're um, trying to plan all your shoots around. But you can't, right? You like can't. the producer, 
it's like May and the producer's like, we need you July 19th to 26th. And I'm like, I have no idea what my uterus is going to be doing that week. <laughs> and half the time, half the time my uterus was like, hey, are you, are you flying to Los Angeles? Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There, there are ways that we deal with it. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah. Like once you've, once you douched with cold water and shoved a boiled sterilized sea sponge up next to your cervix, you don't actually want to run to set and begin having sex. Like it's, it's, it's work to get into it. You have to show up and be like, okay, this is what I find attractive about this person. I'm going to zoom in on it. Hey, can you flirt with me a little? Give me a little of the thing that I'm into yeah. about you. Thank you so much. Okay, okay, let's go. Let's go. We can do it. Um, uh-huh. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then on, on the high side, there's probably some experiences that felt like really easy to drop into. <laughs> yeah. Um, there. Gosh, er- Eric Everhard was one of my absolute favorites. Um, when I started directing myself and working with male performers who were more um, more queer, more flexible, right? Like the the male performers Digital Playground used were like, yeah, kind of macho. Right? Yeah. There was always some kind of like macho edge to them, um, and. You know, like Wolf Hudson and Mickey Maud, who are two of my favorites. Like, they're, they're just guys. Um, they're just yeah. happy guys. <laughs> awesome. Doing connected, intimate sex things. Yeah. Um, and that that was that was even better. And for a couple of years there, a big part of my job was to pick the people I wanted to have sex with where. Go to a place. Have whatever kind of sex we felt like having. And then just make sure the video gets backed up and uploaded and you get the release. Um, wow. And that was, that was like, I can't, I can't believe this is my job. Right. Wow. <laughs> wow that's amazing. And yeah. did you ever deal with any, I mean, I'm sure you've dealt with all the things. So just knowing that you've had a, a long and thriving career, but did you ever feel at the beginning like shame or guilt or anything about like, did you have moments where you're like, Oh no. Um, I think for many women listening to this podcast, they're wanting to reclaim their sexuality or feel more confident there. And even like at the much lesser level, women, a lot of women have shame around sex. Um, even just like women who are at home asking their partner, like, hey, can you stick your finger in my ass? So for you, you're in like a much more heightened reality. But I'm just so curious if you were dealing with some of those same feelings sometimes and like how you worked through them. So I um I'm sort of atypical in that somehow. I hit puberty and it was like, my sexuality is great. <laughs> Sex is a massive buffet. I want to try basically everything. Um, and it took, it took actually like years of people all day long judging me and saying exactly what they thought to my face, telling me I was going to go to hell, telling me I was stupid, telling me I was pathologically dissociated because I used the phrase mechanical injury 
to describe, you know, during double penetration, if one penis goes one way and another penis goes another way, you could cause it's called a mechanical injury. Okay. okay. It's, it's the phrase. <laughs> and they thought you were dissociating from your body or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. You don't expect people who touch genitals for a living to use big words. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, but you know, so much, so much of the job during the height of my career was public interaction and interacting with quote unquote journalists who may be incredibly biased. I'm mm. talking questions like, so how disappointed are your parents? Um, oh. Yeah. Like projecting what they think onto you. Yeah. Yeah. And it took, it took, I'd say about 10 years for that to break me. Wow. And then it broke me. Yeah. Wow. And then I was like, I am a useless sack of shit. I am disgusting. I have ruined my life. Um, and it was, it was really uncomfortable because wow. that's not me. Yeah. And it's also not Stoya. Yeah. And so I had to get up in the morning and be Stoya when I did not feel like Stoya at all whatsoever. Um, um, and yeah. a lot, a lot of coming back from that has involved, um, you know, I don't, I don't look at the internet very often. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't read the comments. I rarely read mentions. The only times I really interact with people that I don't know is when it's through OnlyFans. Yeah. In over two years on OnlyFans, two people have paid $10 to be mean to me. Two. Yeah. <laughs> Out of two years. Yeah. We're, we're talking like, hundreds of people who have cycled through the page yeah, yeah. too yeah. um so it's it's much better that yeah. way um and it even like once once the volume was turned off on that and i'm i'm coming at it from a point of privilege that most adult performers don't have right i have a steady gig at slate giving sex advice that's you know i'm not i'm not hustling to get the next scene to right. make sure I'm financially stable. So I get to say, ah, I'll post a picture every once in a while or like yeah. a funny story about the time a pigeon interrupted my blowjob. Like, but like, <laughs> otherwise, like you can just be a garbage fire Twitter. Um, yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't have the ability to say that. Um, yeah. And it also took, um, it took definitely a lot of work in therapy. Yeah, a lot of work from my friends saying like, "No, that's not true. Remember yeah. where this comes from. Like, you've internalized these awful beliefs. You yeah. explain to other people how internalized beliefs work. You can sort that through yourself." Um, yeah, yeah. But it was just day after day after day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so you felt like over time, you're able to come through that experience and kind of like differentiate. That's not me. That's just all of the pressure that I've taken in over the years. And did it finally, did you come back to that? You pre, I don't know, pre comments, pre trolls who was totally loving her sexuality. Um, I would say, I would say much like New York city, we have built back better. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like much better for me. And now I also, because prior to that, I was this kind of like figure of sex positivity and sexual confidence. And people would ask like, how? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just end this way. Right. And now when I get questions from people in the slate column, like I'm like, I, I can empathize and that's really useful. Right? right. Yeah, totally. That's so true because you know what it feels like. And I, I'm so curious over the years on the flip side, like not just the trolls and the negative comments, but I imagine you've had incredible uh, positive feedback. And I'm curious, <laughs> specifically from women, have you gotten and what kind of responses you've gotten in terms of like, hey, you inspired me around my sexual confidence or my ability to claim my desires? Um, have you gotten that kind of feedback? Women tend to express these things in private moments. Like my hairdresser here, the first time we met, once it was quiet, she was like, you know, I respect, I respect what you do for these reasons. Um, or like, you know, they'll sort of like pull you aside. Whereas like men will send these like emails or like leave these like comments. Um, but I, I really, I'm, I live, I live in a place with a deeply gendered language and the concepts of gender are even more binary and rigid than in the United States. So what I'm about to say may feel surprising. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really on board with this like rigid gender binary situation. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started working in pornography, um, there was this idea of porn for women, mm -hmm. right? Candida Royale started it in the 80s, but it was really starting to catch on in the mid-2000s. What does porn for women look like? Um, and I would hear from just as many men who wanted to see beautiful lingerie shot with a cherry blossom in the foreground, <laughs> some yeah glowing light i don't know whatever people think women like yeah like as I something heard, artsy or soft or something yeah as, as i heard from women who were like you know what i really love when rocco safretti's head when rocco safretti sticks someone's head in the toilet like i just love to see that <laughs> um He's so iconic. Like, He's amazing. Everyone listening, you should go go Google him. Watch some of his stuff. Right? Yeah. Great documentary about him too. Yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're a woman, <laughs> yeah. and here you are saying you should go Google Rocco Sofredi. Yeah. Um, it's these categories and like these presumptions, they're 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 sort of illogical to me when we're when we're like talking about pornography. Because especially now to say like women like this and men like that, like it's like, well, we're we're actually using data based on users Google thinks are women based on their web usage. Right. And the and the same with men. And so I'm like, how how do you even how do you even really put that much stock in all of this? Um right. and maybe maybe 
at this point in time where like the algorithms are actually serving the ads I'm interested in, now I might be able to put stock into Google knowing who's a man and who's a woman. Um, but also for me, until they have a non-binary slice on the pie, right? I'm like, doesn't right. really match with reality. Um, right. Like the porn for women, porn for men kind of a thing. Yeah. It is kind of funny what you associate with like fem- porn for women. It's just like more talking, <laughs> like softer colors. And it's like, is that really what we're yearning for sexually? Um, yeah. Great question. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm so, so we talk a lot and I talk a lot about spirituality and kind of where spirituality and sexuality uh, meet and in our body and how we heal and how we show up to, to just all of these crazy facets of life. And as I've seen some of your scenes, I'm like, I mean, she feels like she's having a transcendental experience here. And I'm so curious if you've had experiences like sexually in some scenes where you're like, I'm having a mystical experience. All the fucking time. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? Yes, please. (laughs) All the fucking time. Um, Like, I I think most of my lovers think I'm just like the world's most melodramatic person. But like, I'll like have an orgasm and then collapse forward on them and be like, I died. It was beautiful. they're like oh and i'm like no literally the world went black i left my body it was fantastic wow 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 (laughs) or like these moments where you're just like you feel like at one with the universe um moments where you feel at one with your partner um and i um of, of course like the cozy moments are beautiful the casual moments are beautiful the fuck me like we're on set moment like all of that um but yes absolutely and um the i was raised a certain kind of christian charismatic so we believed in miracles Mm -hmm. right the holy spirit would come down and possess people Mm-hmm. If you felt called to the pulpit and the congregation recognized you, you were now a preacher. Um, it was very not not the snake handling, but like definitely like people falling over backwards on the floor and convulsing and speaking in tongues. So seeing that as a child seemed to me like this is like what adults do mm-hmm. when they want to have a tantrum. They wait until Sunday. And then they like release all this energy. So then I hit puberty. And I'm like, oh no, this is what adults do when they have too much energy. (laughs) Wow. It was just like this like seamless transition of like my my bigger than me experiences, like as they were fading from the church context transferred to the sexual context um and the 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 10 years of nasty comments problem um a lot of that was very religiously driven by the you know on on the part of the people you know you're going to hell um right right 
And that definitely brought up some discomfort from the way I was told the world is when I was younger. Right. Um, and finding kind of one of the last pieces of the puzzle for me was finding the Gnostics mm. and reading, like reading the gospel of Mary Magdalene yeah. and all of these ideas about, you know, self-knowledge and flexibility and like following your own path it's very it's really like very anarchist um as, as far as i can tell um and so this this like whole swath of christianity that's not as judgmental not as you know confession punishment um <laughs> Like that, that was really liberating for me. Okay, so I just want to take a quick break from the episode to share about one of my affiliate partners, Chakrabs, the original crystal sex toy company. You may have seen me share about them on Instagram or in the press because I have, because I love them. <laughs> Vanessa Cuccia, who is the founder of the company, and she was also a guest on this podcast in episode six. She really pioneered the idea of using crystals for heightened sexual and spiritual intimacy. Each chakra is handcrafted from 100% natural crystal, and they're completely body safe. And the store carries a wide array of products that infuse your energetic field with the subtle energy that the crystal of your chakra holds. Using a chakra over time can help build sensitivity and reawaken subtle sensations within your body. Yay! <laughs> I have personally used them, and for years and I love their products and over the last few years I've recommended them to many clients and survivors of sexual trauma not only for exploring their self-pleasure but for healing releasing blockages feelings held in the body and rebuilding and reawakening their relationship to sexuality and sensuality over time and also they are these beautiful objects which you can put like on an altar in some way in your home to really um, embrace them so use the link in the show notes and the code is Love at checkout to receive a 10% discount in the store. Big love and enjoy. Now back to the episode. Yeah, amazing. Um, have you ever heard of a book called The Magdalene Manuscript? No. It's really good. It, it It's like a channeled material. So... Uh, there's a skeptical mind about that of like, okay, this is like coming from her essentially, but she talks about sex magic and she talks about the practices that were taken out of texts. And I think a lot of modern women who are on a path of reclaiming their sexuality and seeing themselves as spiritual beings have really gravitated towards the stories of her and other other traditions too that include the sexuality but i think mary magdalene strikes a deep chord for especially a lot of western women because we don't mm -hmm. have that kind of divine feminine archetype that includes our sexuality like she's she's the one and that's up to interpretation but i think we can feel it it's that and a lot of the gnostics believed that the holy spirit was the divine feminine yeah like yeah. that and that that was completely erased in the tradition I grew up in 
Yeah. And just about every other tradition I've run into in the United States that is Abrahamic, right? Like, obviously, there's there's Wicca, there's Babylon, there's all sorts of, like, very feminine energy, spiritual practices you can get into. Um, But, you know, some, some people never move more than 20 miles from their mother, and I'm just still attached to Christianity. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> you wait you're saying you still are attached to it yeah <laughs> yeah I am too I mean I grew up in Georgia and I think I'll always even though I really rejected it for a long time there's still that I grew up with that languaging you know it's like mm-hmm. I can go to yoga and really appreciate the, all a lot of eastern traditions but there's I mean when you grow up in the church there's nothing like the impression that's on your small mind as a kid oh because it's everything i i feel like a lot of people who didn't grow up christian have this idea that like everyone is like the duggers or the duggers um oh they're like the i might have the name wrong there's some there's some like a and E reality TV okay, show. Okay, okay, got it, got it, got it. They have like they're quiverful people. Yes, I've heard like of these twenty people. kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Quiver. So it's like I, I feel like they think everyone is either like right, completely out there, or they like go on Christmas and Easter. And there's this mid range that I think is actually pretty typical when you grow up Christian, where it permeates every single moment of your life. Right. Right. Like you sit down and have a meal, you pray. Right. Yeah. Someone that you know is having an issue in life, you pray. You're yeah. having an issue in life, you pray. There's yeah. Jesus posters on the wall. There's five Bibles. You're always reading the Bible, right? But it's it's this like Yeah. It's not it's not completely unhinged, but it is in everything it's not something you interact with on two holidays every year yeah and it really sticks with you yeah yeah where did you grow up where in the world north carolina okay cool where in north carolina wilmington oh Um, awesome okay yeah and then then raleigh and then delaware (laughs) okay awesome wow okay so not too far i was in marietta georgia which is outside of atlanta Um, okay in terms of that kind of southern part of Christianity, I think it's there's a unique flavor. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. <laughs> Very much so. Um, and have you ever like have you ever explicitly uh tried to create like a mystical experience in your work or um sexually, or have has that ever been something that you've brought forward or have you played kind of with any of that? part of yourself uh, like blending those together there's um i mean in in one regard knowing how powerful sex is for me and once i began directing doing my best to set myself up to have the best experience given all the factors i i guess actually that was my job for a while yeah yeah. But also um a few years ago I read Barbara Corellis's Urban Tantra and 
she's walking you through like embodied breathing. And I'm like, oh, that's like how I masturbate. Fascinating. Right. Maybe I should get like intentional with this. Um, And it's also, I mean, in a certain way, your archetype of a heteronormative woman goes through a whole ritual before any date. Oh my God, it's so true. Yeah, and that that ritual is not my ritual most of the time. Occasionally it is. Um, yeah. But there's there's definitely a like, okay, thanks to Barbara Corellis, I'm going to take a moment to separate my hectic work day or like, you know, I just had to help my neighbor break into his security grate. Um, you know, I'm just going to like, take a moment and like be with myself and then set my intention towards being present with this person. And that's, that's how witches do witchcraft. Yeah. 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 And it makes sense that you were doing, I I think a lot, a lot of people do some of those things without knowing it. And it's, I imagine, like you said, you, worked with your breath while you're entering you mean it's it is i mean how can you not anytime we're most people when we're making love we're having sex fucking there is a lot of breath and it's not so different than breath work you know yeah there's a lot going on with the breath like the the breath is in communication with the sensations of the body and the two are fueling each other yeah and that that cycle right if you stop breathing you won't orgasm yeah yeah yeah, I love it. Um, so, gosh, there's so many things I want to ask you. So, you're also you you're an author. So, you wrote your first book. Congratulations! Thank you. Pre pandemic, <laughs> um, and then you write the. It's called Philosophy Pussycats and Porn. Yeah, right. Philosophy Pussycats and Porn is the book, and then I'm half of Slate's How to Do It Sex Advice column. It I is love- I. I feel like it's the job I was like born to do. Oh, okay. So that was my next question is, so you have this booming career in pornography and like iconic in a very particular way. And I didn't mention like one last thing I want to mention about that is that we see so many big boobs and I just felt so liberated by (laughs) like, oh, she has normal breasts. Like, that's great. You know, her body and her press feel so just like not fake, you know, so real and authentic. I wrote, do you know the lingerie addict? Uh, I, I Maybe I've come across it, but. It, it, it was this incredible blog about lingerie that ran for like a decade, maybe longer. Um, Cora Harrington was the woman behind it. And a few months ago, I reached out to her and said very politely, I noticed you're very into the size inclusive era. Like, first of all, huge fan. Notice you're super into the size inclusive era. Maybe a driving force behind it. Definitely a driving force be- behind diversity in nude tones that are available. Um, there's one, one particular size that you have not covered. Right. You've covered big boobs, small waist, big boobs, big waist, small boobs, small rib cage. You have not covered small boobs, big rib cage. 
Mm. Um, mm. This like specifically like A and double A. And boy, do I have a lot of information about who carries what sizes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who carries what sizes, who's willing to custom make for a charge or gratis, yeah. like all that kind of stuff. Who runs small, um, small in the cup. And so I did this two-piece explainer for them right before they stopped publishing. Oh. And that definitely got a response from people with this similar proportions. Yeah. Like, thank you so much. No one has ever talked about this. And I'm like, I know, because I Google it all the time because I'm looking for bra band brands. <laughs> wow. So it's like, if you were to get like a, a 34 double A or something like that, it's going to be like, there's essentially the size around and then on the cup, they're not matching. Like you need something special. I I need... Ideally, I have a 36 AA. Yeah. Um, I was in the pandemic as a 36A. Yeah. And it's, it's actually much easier compared <laughs> to yeah. 36 AA. But basically, no one makes 36A um, even. Wow. Wow. So it's like you need the, you need the wider um, underwire and a wider band, but a much more shallow cup and I'm I'm tired of altering my bras myself. I'm not great at it. (laughs) (laughs) Take this like really beautiful thing that someone put a lot of effort into and make it look a little funky to make it fit. It's less than ideal. Um, Yeah. Yeah. To, hear, to hear my breasts called normal. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I guess it's not normal, actually. Now I'm hearing this. I'm like, wow, that is very specific. But just, I think compared to, especially growing up in like the 90s, you know, and like With the all big, the big boobs. Yeah. yeah. And, and seeing, the push up and the padding. Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, I can w- see someone in porn who has a has a body that looks natural to her right like it's like natural to her and that's my body's natural to me i'm not trying to fit it into that thing that's some stereotype or um but anyway so moving from that how did you then decide you want to write because that's such a beautiful transition um i i was very frustrated in the first few years of my career um with the way the interviews would happen. Um, Because I was... Occasionally, there was a serious journalist who was asking what felt like real questions. But a lot of the time, it was very, like, fluffy or, like, shock jock. Um, But then there would be these people... Because this was was before anyone covered sex work as a beat. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm... I I feel actually kind of ancient right now because I just said that sentence. Um, <laughs> but like, there was there was a world, y'all. There was a world where no one believed sex work was real work, and it was just right. us screaming it into the void, and no one was validating it. Um, and so, you know, you would get these people who are like young journalists interested in covering pornography not sure how to do it no good examples of how to do it really um and so like they would like ask about the health and safety system and i would do a huge info dump 
And then as I understood later, once I started doing journalism myself, but at the time I was like, why would you do this? You're silencing me. They cut it down. Right. Right. So I'm like, I feel misrepresented. Wait, there's this thing called the internet. I'm going to make a Tumblr. I'm going to write my whole info dump. Um, And Tumblr did not have a porn star doing sex ed until me. Um, So I started to get some traction with my ideas. And, you know, Tumblr at that time was this like really beautiful space for sexuality, for thought about sexuality. Um, You know, a lot of... A lot of understanding about asexuality came out of Tumblr. A lot of understanding about intersectionality came out of Tumblr. Um, And definitely, like, I was able to learn about these things because of Tumblr. Yeah. Um, And then first, first, The Guardian asked really several people in porn to do a comment is free, which is their op-ed section mm-hmm. on measure B and why it was counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And I got the gig. It was my first paid writing gig. And I wrote my piece and it was the assignment was 700 words. When I finished my piece, it was 815 and then I cut 115 where I had, I had so little idea what I was doing that I thought it actually had to be exactly 700 words. And so I went over and it was actually a very good writing exercise because it yeah. made my copy really tight. No extra words in there. Um, everything's precise. And I sent it in. And then, um, then later the editor like sent it back with some extra words. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to cut here? And she, Um, and I remember I remember Gail Dines who's this like anti-sex work feminist was like she commented on my op-ed about measure B and like didn't even respond to my arguments and I'm like honey I didn't even know you had arguments what why are you commenting on this where is your triple X video Um, (laughs) wow Yeah, so I, I had no idea about the world I was wading into. Wow. Um, wow. And then Vice had asked me for another interview and I was feeling cocky. I had just been paid to write. And so I was like, well, um, maybe rather than having someone interview me, you could pay me to write for you. And they were like, great, how's 50 bucks a piece? And I'm like, sounds awesome. I've got a byline. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you slowly, you know, I had had this great circle of friends in New York who are all involved in entertainment and media in some way. Um, And they were... They were like, okay, so $50 is a bit low. Um, <laughs> here's, here's how you pitch people, right? Yeah. <laughs> These little things. Um, but, you know, two New York Times op-eds later, I'm half of Slate's sex advice team. 
<laughs> amazing. So amazing. And so not only that, but you've got your OnlyFans account. You're also, I mean, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? You have your flashlight that you've also created that you sell. And uh, um, I mean, Fleshlight created that. Oh, they, okay. So you're just kind of like the spokes. Okay. Yeah. I I showed up and let them do what they needed to do with my vulva. Um, And I I choose what I'm wearing for photo shoots. Um, But But it's their company, right? Got it. Yeah. I just get royalties. um, Yeah. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm the, I'm the, CEO of two companies and the director of the third one. Okay. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. It's, I, I also have fantastic ADHD. So, you know, the, the executive position with the disorder of executive function, it's, uh, yeah. Do you have so, good people around you who can kind of like yes. wrangle you? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's a, really important with creative people and being like a talent a talented creative person who you're doing all these different things it's like if you can have good practical grounded people around you you know yeah me me um we call her an operations manager that's Uh, what i've got a queen of operations is what we call her (laughs) my, my operations manager the other day she was like um you realize that if someone were to look at who does what in the company, it appears that I'm the boss. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. It functions. I need that. I built an entire company that I'm the director of so I can have the boss I need to be able to do my work. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I think that structure is necessary. It's like someone to text you and be like, Hey, send me that thing. I need that email or, um, yeah, I, I know I I need that. I know you think you're about to spend $400 on a hotel room for a location. Let me tell you what's in the bank account. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Someone who's tracking that stuff. Um, So I know we're coming to our time here and Oh, I just, I'm so happy. I could just ask you so many other questions. I just feel like I mostly, I'm so excited for women to experience you and what it's like. Cause my podcast is mainly a female audience. I mean, okay. For the dudes listening, we love you. And there are some also <laughs> non-binary people I imagine. Um, but Instagram does tell me like, you know, the mm-hmm. percentages. So for whomever is listening, I hope that they're inspired. Um, to be a bit more free in their expression and to feel that we're not that different, right? Like, I mean, I haven't lived the life that you've lived, but that there is this idea, I think of like, oh, you're a porn star. Like this, you're like an exotic alien. And you're like, I, I love just feeling you as a woman who has followed her her dreams, her path, whatever, wherever it's led. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing, you know, um, a little bit about your journey. Um, I think one of the things that was most helpful for me in overcoming shame, aside from like intellectually targeting what the like structure of the shame directed at me was and like working on that was, um, the, you know, not looking at the comments or just like blocking people felt good. I started yeah. doing that in real life. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, oh, we were hooking up and I set a boundary and he tried to push it. 
And I said, no. And now you're like acting like I harmed you with my no goodbye. Yeah. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to stay and try to untangle this situation and hear more from that person about what they think I've done wrong by setting a boundary. I'm going to set my boundary and I'm going to leave because it wasn't respected. Um, And that, that also helped alleviate um, a lot of, so like when you're, when you're with someone and they're not treating you appropriately and you're, you're feeling bad or you bring them a sex thing and they're like, Oh my God, ew, leave. <laughs> Look for a new one. There's, yeah. there's plenty of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, I think we get so, um, I think we get so many messages about making things work mm-hmm. and not giving up and being patient and understanding. And like, you, you have to have that stop that says like, this is as understanding as I can be. And I'm going to remove myself from the situation now. Yeah. 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 That's such a beautiful reminder, clear reminder. It's like, yeah, sometimes it is that clear and it's, it's like the people pleasing. That's like, Oh, I'm going to continue engaging in this conversation when it's like, Oh, there's nothing to engage with anymore. Drama kind of begets drama. So it's like when somebody is like, but no, let's talk more, but no, let's process more. And you're like, there's nothing left to process. (laughs) This is just you trying to hold on to me. Right. And, and, and um, I think it was my therapist last week. She was like, sometimes people feel more connected to you when you tell them no, they like feel like there's something to like push against. And they like, are like, but never, you know, like they, it makes them want to like grasp in a way. Um, Is it like a challenge? Um, You know, I think it's different with different types of situations, obviously. Mine was with my mom, so we won't go into that. (laughs) But but there's something to, uh, yeah, that like boundaries are are really hard for a lot of people, whether it's parents or siblings or lovers, um, especially if there haven't been boundaries before or somebody, you know, and then you, you come putting one up. It really can shatter realities. Yeah. Yeah. That was when I, when I started doing the real work in therapy and I started setting real boundaries with people. It was like, I had done something monstrous. (laughs) Monstrous. Yeah. Monstrous. Like you're like the worst. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're like shaking in your boots and like, it feels like super exciting. And then it's like, Oh my God, Oh my God, to do the right thing. (laughs) I feel like I go through different levels where I'm like, oh, I'm in boundary school again. And I'm like having to set boundaries with some people I love. And then it'll go away for a while. And then I'm like, oh, it's here again. Like everyone in my life is like really needing something and I don't have it. And I have to say no. Um, Yeah. So I imagine. I just I'm I'm one of those people where I'm like, if I can help, then I want to help. 
but it was just sometimes like the stars align and everybody needs help all at once. And I also need help. Exactly. It's like, okay, no one's getting help right now. We're just going to hold each other in a cuddle puddle and silently scream (laughs) until we're able to all help ourselves because no one has any spare resources. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing, right? It's like if I'm under-resourced and all of a sudden all the people in my life are like needing me, that's the moment to say, I'm so sorry, I love you so much, but I'm under-resourced and I'm tired. And that to me, it's like, I I have a little shadow where I'm like, oh no, I can, I can find something at the bottom of my barrel for you. You know, it's like, (laughs) like for me, I'm like, oh, but like maybe, maybe if we share how we're under-resourced, we'll be able to swap some things and help. Like, I'm still like, how is there a way to save this? Right, right, right. Exactly. When it's, I really just need to like zone out and watch some TV and just like cuddle with myself and like wrap up in my gravity blanket, which is amazing. Um, what's your sign? Gemini. Gemini. Cool. What's, do you know your rising and your moon? Um, I do not. Okay, cool. I'm Gemini rising, but, um, and where are you living now? You said something about being out of the country. Yes, uh, I'm living in Southern Europe. Awesome. I do not want people. Sometimes no. people show up looking for me. I do not want people showing up. No, we just will hold like a vast area of Southern Europe, hundreds of cities and towns, hundreds of cities and towns. Well, good for you. That sounds really lovely. Um, I'll be over that way next month and I'm really excited about it. So oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so lovely to meet you and have you. And what's the best way like for the people listening for them to support you um, and contribute or what would you prefer? So um, hellostoya.com is the place to go if you want to know what's going on right now. I I don't actually update it often, but like the links tab has, you know, only fit whatever I should yeah. probably give it a once over again. Um, and you know, cause Instagram and Twitter, we never know how long we're going to get right. to stay on the platform sex workers. So okay. hello Stoya is like pretty solid. Um, and if you like nude pictures, only fans is great. If you like my writing, actually sharing the how to do it columns right. on social media. Like if you like it, please tell people about it. Yeah. Um, and we'll it, you know, it doesn't that linked to, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't even specifically have to be like Twitter. Like tell, tell your friend, like I yeah. wrote this great thing. Um, yeah. the, the, the better the column does, the more stable my gig there is and also the more likely it is that we might get a second shot at the how to do it podcast which would make me really happy i Um, want that i want to listen to that i want to listen to that so everybody go read the how to do it column on slate which we'll have linked below and then send it to a friend who may need some amazing sex advice from stoya and her co-writer and then rich jews we act and rich okay cool and then I also saw that you have a book club. Are you still doing that? Um, it's coming to an end in September. Oh, it looks like you had some great stuff on there. We, I think, I think actually September is like the five year mark. 
Um, wow, cool. We did. We did a lot of great stuff. Hello Stoya has all of the books listed except for maybe like the last couple months. Um, and soon I'll go finish it out. So we just have this like log of like everything we read. Yeah. Um, Which is an amazing of- resource. I was looking at it I was like I need to cut and paste this um so that I can start reading them (laughs) it would be it would be more amazing if I like asterisked the ones that were like oh this was a dud or like actually just made like everyone uncomfortable um (laughs) Gordon I remember made everyone uncomfortable okay and um uh not zipless fuck fear of flying erica john's fear of flying i read Um, that one so long ago i think in college so did i and then when we did it for book club i was like oh with modern sensibilities this is like work it's it's so graphic about the life of a woman in the 1970s in the united states that it's like it was kind of disturbing for a lot of people for me it was like whoa this is bleak Um, wow oh yeah i remember reading it in college but it's been a moment but i love that you have the um the and and rice the i saw that on there these are just such a classic i always buy them as gifts for people and then you also had the story of O on there which i also love (laughs) i i think I think my favorites out of the whole thing are Lara Antonio's Marketplace series. Okay, okay I'm going to look um, up. And it's, it's a master-slave language, BDSM, fantasy world. Um, and after, um, after Black Lives Matter Round 2 kicked off, um, the people at Book Club were like, we're actually like uncomfortable with the, the master-slave language here yeah sitting in america yeah um so it's like great give me a couple years um and i found um through the platform that's been hosting the event they they put me in touch with a woman named mademoiselle cc she's a black dominatrix um in well black femdom in she's from canada she's in the u.s now and she was like great great I just want to bring in um, my mentor, Mama Vi Johnson. And I'm like, great. Tell me about her. And she's like, well, she was a collared slave for 30 years. Um, She's a black woman. She was in slavery to another woman. Um, She's also like really into theology. And I'm like, great. She sounds awesome. Um, And then... I'm blanking on the guy's name, um, but he was a he was a dominant as well, and they're all you know very close. And they came um, this June because we were doing a marketplace book every June, and talked about the the parts of the book that addressed race and racial dynamics. Um, wow. And it was it was a truly incredible experience. Um, wow. Wow. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm going to look that up and put that in the show notes too. So, <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to thank you so much. I know we went a little bit over. I really appreciate chatting with you. And I Sorry, really I talk a lot and I'm having a good time. <laughs> you no, know, I could just keep going. I just want to honor your time too. And since it's the evening for you. Um, yeah. But I just, I really appreciate everything that you've shared. And I hope that everyone here goes and buys your book. 
and shares your column and uh, gets excited about your work and also liberated by it. And I, I think there's like there's something that I'll always remember to when I saw you experiencing pleasure really freely. And I was like, wow, she's having so much fun. <laughs> And I was like, that's amazing. It was actually like a video an ex sent me and it was a DP video. And it was like, <laughs> or no, it was, um, it was like five different guys. And you were like telling them when to switch. I think it was two guys. Okay. In my mind, yeah. it all of a sudden became five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, because they kept switching, right? So it felt like a never ending line of guys. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So I just keep saying next, right? I'm not like A, B, A, B. No, I'm not right. like switch. I'm not like swap. I'm just like next as though they yeah. just keep coming. So in theory, it was infinite, actually. It was infinite. And I was like, she's just so claiming her pleasure and she's smiling and she's laughing and she's like, okay, next, next, next. Um, I've tried to look for that video again because, you know, I haven't found it, but I just, I remember when this ex sent it to me and I was like, oh, wow, who is she? She's amazing. So whoever finds it gets surprised. The internet is a big, vast, wild space. <laughs> <laughs> what surprise can there be <laughs> i mean no i don't know what the prize is the prize is watching the video that's the prize you get to see the video that i'm talking about and that is a prize let it inspire you and light up your heart and give you permission to claim your pleasure <laughs> but also if you find it please send it to alexandra <laughs> yeah send it to me too but like not in a creepy way <laughs> thank you all so much for listening stoya thank you so much for uh for doing this and being here today everybody have an amazing rest of your day and we'll see you again soon thank you so much for listening to today's podcast for more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review. Give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.